0: Hello, welcome back to the Sealed Podcast. This is a Bible study podcast. I am one of your hosts, Shiloh Seal.
1: And I am Tyler Seal, the other host. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to begin the study of the book of Mark. This is a New Testament book. This is the Second gospel. So right after Matthew, you'll find the book of Mark. And
0: should we tell him what page number?
1: That might not be as effective. I'm kidding. (laughs) So each of the gospels tries to focus on a certain aspect of the nature of Christ or the nature of God himself. And I would say Mark's contribution is primarily sonship, you know, identifying and showing the sonship of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Son of Man, a a real bona fide human being, but also fully the Son of God. And then maybe the other important point that he makes over and over is about messiahship that jesus christ is the one who came to save us from our own sin and i would say the book of mark is one of the funnest gospels to read it is just action-packed and it moves at an incredibly swift pace And so that being said, I guess we could introduce Mark, the writer of this. And I don't want to take it for granted what you know or don't know, so I'll just say one of the things that I found out that was super interesting, maybe four or five years into my walk as a Christian, was that two of the Gospels were not written by the original 12 disciples. and. You know, now, as I think about it, like that doesn't seem odd to me, but I guess I just always assumed that the Gospels were written by the first 12 disciples, you know, one of them, but Luke was not one of the original 12. He was a physician who traveled a lot with Paul and he took as many firsthand accounts as he could find and compiled them into the Book of Luke and the Book of Acts. Mark, whose, whose name is actually John Mark, was most likely twelve years old when Jesus' ministry began. You know, that's that's how old he was. And early church history says he was basically the interpreter for Peter like he would write stuff down as Peter gave sermons or as Peter dictated something he would he would be the writer now if you go to Acts chapter 12 it talks about John Mark who was the son of a widow named Mary in whose house the church in jerusalem would gather and so that story is when when peter is basically busted out of prison by angels
0: mm-hmm.
1: the first place he goes is to the house of mark specifically his mother's house mary's house mm-hmm. and so we know from bible history that this is a, at, at the very least a common gathering place for the early church is an important thing and we discussed this in our very first bible study you know there's there's people mentioned in the bible that housed the early church there Mm -hmm. was not church buildings this was an outlaws religion and so it was all house churches and the people who originated that are often just mentioned in passing you just barely catch their name we know from colossians 4 10 that Mark was the cousin of Barnabas and more likely Barnabas was the cousin of Mary. And so he's also a cousin of Mark. Either way, Colossians 4.10 denotes him as a cousin of Mark. And mostly I just say that so that we understand the firsthand accounts that you get through the book of Mark are from a boy's perspective. Yeah. You know, and so there's parts of it that just rapidly shift from scene to scene. And that's either because you're getting the perspective of a boy who just, your mind focuses on highlights. Or we're talking about a piece that was dictated to him from Peter. So maybe he wasn't specifically there himself, but Peter told him this. Either way, that accounts for the different nature of the type of writing you see all throughout the book of Mark. I'm just going to be open and honest after we get through this first one. The power of Jesus and the disciples will be on full display every step of the way. I mean, there's not a place in this where you don't see a Holy Spirit filled Jesus Christ going to war with demons, going to war with religious principalities. Mm We're going to war against sickness itself. I mean, he...
0: Yeah, basically all the kingdom of darkness.
1: Yeah. He comes full tilt against it, and you see the cost. But it is really important to remember that the, the main overarching principle of the book of Mark is the sonship, the fact that Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God. And while we call him the son of God, he was in the beginning. And if you go to the beginning of John's gospel, it says it beautifully. Mm -hmm. It tells us that he was the word in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And without that word, no things that exist would exist. Mm -hmm. All things were created by him and through him. And so that sonship, don't let it confuse you as as if jesus was some created being he always was but he entered in to physical reality as a baby and carried the full weight and authority of god in his ministry so we're going to pray and we are going to dive on in to mark chapter one lord we pray that you would reign supreme in this place. Holy Spirit, we beg your presence. Fill our minds, fill our bodies, fill our hearts. Lord, fill the ears of the reader or the listener. Lord, we ask that you would fill us completely, that you would teach us of the life of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the good news of the Messiah. And we pray, Lord, we pray right now that you would begin to grant us understanding, Lord, that you would invite us in to the mysteries of your presence. Lord, we thank you so much for all the work you're doing in this place. Lord, we ask that this, that this teaching would be blessed with your wisdom and your presence and your glory. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' mighty name. Would you like to read the first three verses?
0: Sure. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight.
1: All right. So here's a little lesson in Bible breakdown. We'll just start there. Hopefully all of the listeners, unless you're driving, have your Bible open. If your Bible's open, I want you to just look at the second half of verse two and verse three. Typically in your Bible, that will either be italicized or it'll be indented further than the rest of the the writing. Or like in mine, which is a CSB version, it's all in bold lettering. It's not in red letters. It's just in bold letters. So it says, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. And all of that is in bold.
0: Yeah. And in mine, it's all indented.
1: So the first half of and that verse says. I would
0: add it's also in quotations.
1: The first half says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. And so there's a little clue for you. When you see those bold letters or italicized letters or indented letters, usually it's specifically something that is being referenced and in the new testament when a reference is made to the bible it's always a prophet it's a prophecy that has been reiterated in the new testament and so the second half of verse two is from the book of malachi chapter three and then verse three is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 40. And you can look up those two chapters and do a little digging and find those verses for yourself in the Old Testament and you'll start to see the nature of prophecy being fulfilled in the New Testament. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies are fulfilled throughout the three or three and a half year ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's worth getting to know those prophecies because it's one of the proofs that Christianity isn't a 2,000-year-old religion. It's the fulfillment of all God has planned to do since the very beginning of creation. It's the oldest religion, really. And learning those prophecies and learning how the prophets operated will really help flesh that out for you. So both of these separate prophets were speaking of John the Baptist. And it's an important, important thing to discuss. I don't know how much we'll discuss it here. We'll read this next section and just let the Lord lead us as far as how deep a dive we do on John the Baptist here and now. Either way, he's a, he's a character worth studying thoroughly in your Bible. So verses four through eight say, John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Mm. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Just a side note, locusts and wild honey, actually pretty good. It's not that bad of a meal. I mean... It's not great. <laughs> okay, so most of my family did not enjoy that meal as much as I did. but
0: The honey when, was good.
1: <laughs> when we lived in California, we had a bit of a locust plague one year, and I just decided, well, why not take advantage of it and see
0: a little how old a John lesson. the
1: Baptist was living? And so we gathered up a bunch of grasshoppers hopping around the yard and poured some honey and had a little dip and chip snack. Mm, yeah. Most of my kids couldn't get past the squirming legs that were, you know, trying for dear life to hang onto your lips so they didn't go down. It was a brutal meal, honestly. Surprisingly,
0: some of them were engaged. um, Ones that I had honestly not really pictured. Well, if you're ever
1: struggling to get your kid to read the Bible, you pull out a bowl full of locusts and a bowl of wild honey and say, we're all going to eat this while somebody reads the Bible (laughs) and their hands will shoot up to be that volunteer to read the Bible guaranteed. (laughs) I guess on a more serious note, what, what that is showing is that he had a simple diet. Like this is, this is basically free food. He went and picked, he went and picked up locusts himself and he went and gathered wild honey himself And this was an actual fairly common diet. We don't think about it much, but protein's a a must for your diet. You have to find a form of protein to survive. And you also need raw sugars and carbohydrates. This provides everything you need on a low budget. So what it's telling you is this is not a man who was living off of steak meals. He was not eating lobster. He was taking basically the cheapest form of protein that you could have in that area at that time. And making his meals with that and complaint free. So, locust and wild honey was actually just like a poor man's diet. You know, you can't afford steak, so you eat burger. Well, back then, you couldn't afford goat or sheep, so you ate locust. And I believe that's the same lesson you get from somebody who's wearing camel hair garments and a leather belt. Like, that's not. It's not a suit and tie. That's definitely not comfortable garments. It's simple. It's simple clothes.
0: I mean, everybody then was wearing tunics. He was basically dressed dressed like a wild man.
1: Yeah. And that's like, really he what like it was.
0: the mountain man or something, you know, here. Yeah. I'd be like Hosea. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all of that is just a little bit of background on John, I suppose. The more important background would be the message that he proclaimed and Mm -hmm. when he proclaimed it. Yeah, let's do that. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. So the first thing I want to point out is we all have our own view on what a water baptism is. As Christians, that is something that is part of your church's culture or should be. Judean culture, the mikvah, the ritual bath of cleansing was something you did in a body of living water, which they still, you know, would dig it out like a bit of a bath or a pool from the stone. But it had to have a flow of clean, fresh water coming into it to be considered living water that you could use for a ritual bath. Now, they would do this. The Jewish community would do this before feast days or before important events, or to ritually clean themselves from some befoulment, Like if you happen to accidentally touch a dead body or things like that, you know, I mean, it happens. If you're (laughs) a pallbearer at a funeral, you need to be ritually cleansed after that. And so they would take a mikvah, they would take a ritual cleansing bath. Also, if you were a Gentile who was trying to become a Jew, you had to take a mikvah, you had to basically be baptized into judaism but it's not something that upstanding clean jews would go do because it's also kind of this ritual of you getting back into right standing with the lord Mm -hmm. so to just go down as a jew and be baptized by john is you admitting you're a sinner and if You're an upright standing Jew like that. That carries problems. There's weight to that. Like, I imagine there was talk about, well, if you had to go down there and be ritually cleansed, what were you doing in the temple last night? Or what were you doing in the temple tomorrow? Because you still got six more days of uncleanness even after your bath. But this was something different. This was a baptism of repentance. For the forgiveness of sins. And so already John is putting his foot in it. I mean, he is stepping in deep on territory that belongs to the Pharisees. It Mm -hmm. belongs to the temple. You know, the cleansing of sins was a business back then. You've got to get an animal. You've got to sacrifice it. Oftentimes the animals you can get a hold of, whether it's a turtle dove or a pair of turtle doves or a young sheep, well, if it's not unblemished, if it's not perfect enough, then you got to just go ahead and sell that one or just give it away because you're going to have to buy one from the temple. And that's where you run into the money changers and all that, because you also could not purchase an unspotted lamb or a pair of turtle doves with Roman money or Ethiopian money or wherever you're from. You can't use the local money. You have to have that converted into Jewish temple money, the shekel. And so. There's a money changer who's taking a cut as you transfer whatever silver or gold you have into Jewish coin. And then there's an animal dealer who's taking a cut and marking up prices and all those things. And so it's become this weird business just to deal with your sin.
0: I just want to go on the record and say it makes me super uncomfortable dealing with money in church.
1: Yes. Like when people (laughs) are
0: selling things, like even like, and I'm, you know, I, sometimes make things but i like do not want to exchange money at church it makes me even when i was when i was cleaning church it's like uh, i
1: don't want to get paid please don't pay me in here i remember that
0: i don't know it's just and that's just a personal thing so sorry i shared that with y'all but
1: and it's hard to say if that comes straight from the heart or from the reading of the Bible and recognizing how much Jesus also despised money changers in the church.
0: Yeah, like you could do business or the other temple. places. Like, do it yeah. other places.
1: Yeah. he. You know, if, if we're going to have a serious conversation about, you know, stewardship of a sanctuary, of a church, it needs to be in areas like that. Like, far more than... The stain on the carpet is the stain on the church that you know is buying and selling books or coffees or all these things in the lobby like maybe at least have the discussion and i'm not saying like i'm right and everybody's wrong i'm just saying if your church is making money hand over fist try to remember that part of the bible where jesus braided a whip and who exactly's table he was kicking over Like it wasn't the Pharisees table. It wasn't the the men and women in the pews. It was the people who were doing monetary transactions in God's house. Now, personally, I believe as believers, we are now the temple. We are God's house. Mm -hmm. It has more to do with your inner being than the building you go and you worship at corporately. But ask any deacon, that is a special place. Mm You know, and it should be revered and treated properly. Well, to me, and I'm just saying from experience, more important than just, you know, keeping a clean yard or keeping an unspotted carpet is having our hearts and our hands clean from things that are defiled by the world. And I can't Mm. think of something more defiled than money. Mm. I mean, good work. So it's also interesting in verse five, the whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem mm-hmm. were going out to him. That's a wild statement. We're talking tens of thousands of people. And this is not mine, the ministry yeah, of a day.
0: Mine goes on to say verse, the rest of verse five went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan river.
1: Confessing, <laughs> confessing their, their, sins. their sins.
0: Hallelujah. But, that's beautiful.
1: Now, towards the end of this, he says a more powerful baptism is coming, but let's not cheapen how powerful this baptism is and was. Now, everybody probably has their own ideas on exactly what a water baptism is. I know I've been in churches where if it was anything but full immersion, we got problems, you know. I'm not here to say like the, the proper method, but I've also been in churches where, you know, if you weren't laid backwards into the water, that's not a real baptism. If you weren't dunked three times, that's not a real baptism. If you were, if you were dipped forward, that, that has a different meaning or all of those things. Like I'm not here to argue the amount of water you should use in your baptismal, or if it should be in a river or any of that, that's not the important part to me. The important part to me that I see here is confessing their sins. This was a public out loud confession before all of Jerusalem. You <laughs> know, that's not easy. That's that hard. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of times it's just, hey, who wants to go into the water? And what we do is we confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We confess that he is our savior. I'm mm-hmm. not saying stop doing that. I'm just saying, what would it look like if also you had to publicly confess
0: mm.
1: all of your sin? And here's what the symbolic nature of this baptism is today. It is you identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection. So as you go down into that water, you die with Christ. Mm-hmm. The old man dies. And now, fully immersed or not, you are buried with Christ. What comes out of that water is the new man or woman. And you are made new.
0: Yeah, 2 Corinthians 5.17.
1: So confessing all your sins allows that to get buried with you. That's all the things that are the old dead man. And oftentimes I'll meet Christians with tons of struggles. Tons of them and their perpetual struggles, their struggles that they've been dealing with secretly or consistently for years and years. And it starts to make you wonder, well, what exactly were you saved from? Like what died with the old man? What, what was shed off in that water? And obviously I recognize that it is symbolic, but I hope you don't overplay or underplay what a symbol is. Mm-hmm. Cause it's a real thing.
0: Yeah. And what you're saying, it isn't like, oh, this is the way it is, you know, with everybody else. But like, it's a good point that we should ask ourselves, what was I saved from? How is my life looked different? How is like, am I a new creation? What is new? And maybe just periodically like assess what is new. What has been made new.
1: Yeah. I and, don't want to imply should, that I came out of that water perfect. Like I definitely right. did not.
0: <laughs> but also with that is like, hey, the things that I was struggling with then, like, it shouldn't be perpetual sin that I'm still struggling with twenty twenty years later, you know, ten years later. Like we should be overcoming
1: But here's an interesting in process of sanctification thought project for each person if there is something and I'm talking about a sin in your life and I'm not here to judge you, I can't see you. Like we're, we're all friends here. I'm just saying, I'm watching you take this as a, as a personal thought experiment for those of you who have a sin in your life that you've been dealing with maybe before you were a Christian Mm -hmm. that's still popping up. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's, it could be anything, you know, your sin, like it's already coming to your mind right now. Mm -hmm. This thing that you still struggle with, even though now you're a Christian, ask yourself this, did I confess that at my baptism? Like out loud, Mm -hmm. did I confess that sin at my baptism? And I'm not saying you weren't actually baptized if you didn't do this. I'm just genuinely curious. Did you confess that? Because James tells us, you know, when you confess your sins before men, you can be healed.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: And so I wonder if this is something conveniently left out of a lot of, or accidentally left out of what it means to have a water baptism. Because I believe there's power in it. I don't think it's purely a symbol. I think something genuine happens there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so let's take baptism seriously. Yeah. I do believe as a, a new believer, you should be seeking to be baptized. It is a beautiful public statement that you are now made new in Christ. Now, we didn't make it very far in this very first one, but I knew, you know, doing a little bit of background and then a little bit of background on John would take up some time. So I'm not going to dive straight into, but next time, (laughs) I guess we'll begin with the fact that there is two baptisms mentioned here. So, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to guide us and grow us, continue to make us new. Lord, we pray that you would grant us wisdom and understanding and more time in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen.